0: Our series about the Christmas series. If you weren't in Christmas here, if you were out, you know, seeing your family, I did a series and I'm finishing the series, and it's based off Matthew in the Gospel of Matthew, his view of the, of the birth of Christ. He started with the genealogy and he included people that you would not likely want to include if you're trying to build the reputation of the Messiah, of the King. He's including people in that list. That I personally would have, would have edited and deleted from the list. It never happened. I would have wrote a whole new history. I would have lied pretty much. But not, not, not God. So we all have people in our families, our, extended, in our especially our extended family, that we're not exactly proud of. You know, you love them and you're glad they live in another state. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> you know, you're glad they're way over there and we don't have to see them. And uh, we all have family members that kind of need an explanation, and that's you know I'm sure you have a story. This is my, I have a brother. Yeah, let me explain. Um, and you know we all have very colorful characters in our family. Uh, you know we just added Mike Watterson to our family. He's a colorful character. Uh, he's uh, I've nicknamed him. He doesn't know this, but I've nicknamed him Nimrod, who is a mighty hunter in the Bible. Uh, and he is a hunter. And uh, hopefully he'll take some of us to go hunting and show us how to properly be a man who hunts in the wild game. So no pressure, Mike. Uh, when, whenever you come back doing your secret operations or whatever you do in the water, over the international waters, you and Bo will be out there we'll thinking of you. They leave for deployment in March. So uh, Mike's leaving a little earlier because he's got some other things to do. I can't tell you. It's top secret. I don't even know, really. <laughs> Um, you know, these these family members that we have, Jesus' family was no different. There were criminals in his family line. There were murderers. There was in-laws marrying each other. Ugh. And what's interestingly enough, he is most closely associated with the most dysfunctional member of all. A guy who makes your embarrassing relative look like a saint. And we're going to talk about him today. He put the fun in dysfunctional. This person told a lie, and it got 85 priests killed. He had an affair with his friend's wife, and arranged his death to cover up the pregnancy. He wouldn't even discipline his own son even after he raped a woman. Let's take a look at this character. This is the genealogy of Jesus, the Messiah, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Abraham was the father of Isaac, Isaac the father of Jacob, Jacob the father of Judah, and his brothers, and Judah the father of Perez and Zerah, whose mother was Tamar. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram, the father of Aminadab. Aminadab, the father of Nishan. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab. That's the prostitute. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. And Obed, the father of Jesse. And Jesse, the father of King David. The person I'm talking about is David. He is the one in the family line that did some horrific things. Why include sinners as part of the story Of Jesus. Because that's the part of the story, that's really the point of the story. If you put all the righteous guys up there and you came to church, you're like, I can't relate to that. So here's the story of David. He lived about 1000 BC before Jesus, and before him Saul was the king, and he was doing a very poor job. So God sends the prophet Samuel to a city called Beth, or a town called Bethlehem to anoint a king, and that was going to be the son of Jesse, as you saw in the line here. There's Jesse. Now Jesse lines up his seven sons, and he had eight boys, but he lined up seven. And God said no to all of them, and they were all studs. These were the best. And David wasn't even invited because you know Jesse thought surely you're not talking about him. And so he lined up the seven and left and left David out in the pasture field with the sheep. And so, David eventually becomes king, he's anointed, uh, and he wants to build a temple for God, he wants to build something awesome for God, and God sends the prophet Nathan to send him a message, and he says, hey, you can't build anything for me, you have too much blood on your hands, because David was a king, he was a shepherd, and he was a warrior, so God's like, you cannot build a temple for me, you have way too much blood on your hands, So here is the story that we pick up in 2 Samuel chapter 7 and verse 8. Now then, God does make a promise to David. Now then, tell my servant David, this is what the Lord Almighty says. I took you from the pasture, from tending the flock, and appointed you ruler over my people Israel. I have been with you wherever you have gone. And I have, cut out, I have cut off all your enemies from before you. Now I will make your name great, like the names of the greatest men on earth. You know, the story of David is a compelling story. Because it goes on to say, The Lord declares to you Himself will establish a house, which is a, a, house is a generational name, meaning people are going to know your house for a long time. When your days are over and you rest with your ancestors, I will raise your offspring to succeed you. You will, come from your own, you will come from your own body, and I will establish his kingdom. He who is the one who will build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I'll be his father, and he'll be my son. When he does wrong, I will punish him with a rod wielded by human beings, with floggings inflicted by human hands. But my love will never be taken away from him, as I took it away from Saul." Whom I removed before you. Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me, and your throne will be established forever. You know, God made David an unconditional promise. Um, and the Jews understood that from this account that the Messiah would come from the line of David. That's why they were so intrigued by this genealogy. They wanted to make sure that Jesus who was born was connected in the ancestry of David. But David gave God some good reasons to retract his promise. You know, sometimes I feel I give God good reasons to retract his promise toward me. You ever feel that way? Like, man, I don't deserve that. And Matthew makes sure that we remember it because he includes him in the genealogy. David's sin, included four chapters later, David decides to stay home from war. He's supposed to go to war. He stays back, so he goes on the roof so he can look at some women. So he does that, and one of his officers' wives is taking a, taking a bath, and he looks at her, and he likes her, and so he calls for her to come into his castle, and he, she does, and they have a relations together, and she gets pregnant. That was Bathsheba and David. And so David does what any man of God would do, as you expect him to do. He calls Uriah from battle, gets him drunk, sends him home to be with his wife. But Uriah sleeps at the door of the castle or the home of David and does not want to go home to his wife because his loyalty to his men is, I cannot be with my wife. If my men are in battle, I'll stay here. So, what does David do? He does it again. He gets him drunk again, says, Go home and lay with your wife. So he can cover up the crime. And Uriah doesn't do that. Uriah's loyalty will not allow him to do that. At which point, I would, you would think that God would say, Forget it, I'm making Uriah the righteous the king. Get out of here, David. But he doesn't do that. Here's Uriah the righteous. And here's David, supposed to be the righteous branch that Jesus comes from and he's trying to kill Uriah. And Uriah's like, no, I'm not going to go home. I don't know how drunk I am. I'm not going to do that. And you know when you're drunk, your decision making is poor. And Uriah doesn't even go home. You think he would, but he doesn't. Then David does the unthinkable. He writes a note to the general Joab, which is his cousin, and he says, put Uriah in the front of the, of the battle, where the fighting is the most fiercest, fight and then withdraw your men and leave Uriah up there by himself. And that was the note he sent Joab. And Joab obeyed the orders. And Uriah's men pressed forward, the rest drew back, and Uriah was killed with an arrow. Slain in the battlefield. And the scripture says this about that. We read that? That When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. And after the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done had displeased the Lord. You know, God has to discipline David. And so the way God does that, sometimes He sends people that are in your life, to you, to send you a message. So God has this prophet called Nathan, and he sends him over to David. So nine months had already passed the child, and David, had, David thinks he got away with it. David, David's like, I man, that was a close one. I slept with Uriah's wife. He wouldn't go sleep with her. I had him killed in battle. Whew. The baby's born. You know, he died. I got to take care of my wife. Everything's going to be just fine and dandy. And God sends Nathan over to David. And, he, and Nathan tells David this. You will pay dearly for what you have done. And he did. Even after he re- repented of the mistake, or the, really the sin, even after he repented, he says, you're going to pay for it. The baby that's born dies. David's family experiences rape. Incest, murder, betrayal. His favorite son is killed by the, by the oldest son. Then his general, Joab, disobeys David and kills his favorite son, Absalom. He gets stuck in the tree with his hair and he's dangling there. And Joab's supposed to get him down and bring him to David. Specific orders. And Joab just kills him. So he paid the price. He pays the price. There are generations of consequences. This is in the family bloodline of Jesus. This is the most, this most famous relative. This was the attachment of the promise. But though God's discipline was brutal, his promise was eternal. David's inconsistent behavior did not override God's unconditional promise. Because we can relate to that. Because we have inconsistent behavior. But it does not override God's unconditional promise. When God makes a promise, it's a promise. So 990 years later, a carpenter named Joseph makes his way down to Bethlehem, to the city of David, and everyone had to return to his hometown because you know the Roman government wanted to make sure their taxes were paid so you had to go back and register so they did that and his grandson times 28 the promise that god made david was born and that was jesus and according to that promise of god he made a promise to of god made a promise to a man who wasn't very good at keeping his end of the bargain. That's the kind of way God is. God makes a promise to people who aren't very good at keeping their end of the bargain. That's us. He makes you a promise, knowing full well, you won't live up to your end of the bargain. And that's who He is. That's why the story is here, so you can go like, thank goodness... Imagine if it was based off everything you did. Good and bad. Some of us would be like, yeah, I have my list. Did a lot of good since January 1st. <laughs> if God came now, i would be in good graces. Matthew puts us in there for a reason. So we, the sinner, when we read this, It'll melt us. It'll soften us. It'll, it'll encourage us. And he's about to tell the story of this new unconditional promise. Not between David and God, but between mankind and God. A promise sealed in blood, but only the blood of one party. Because it's a promise. It's not a contract. So one party is going to going to seal it in blood, but the others not. Because that's how promises are made. God didn't make a contract with you. He made a promise to David. He made a promise to you. He made a promise to all of us. And the good news is that you've been invited to step into this relationship with God that is governed by an unconditional promise and is characterized by grace and forgiveness. That is the deal. A relationship where you don't have to negotiate your sin, you actually are forgiven of your sin. A relationship where your inconsistency and lack of follow up does not determine your acceptability, you're accepted. You are welcomed. Just as God made a promise to David in spite of David, God made a promise to you in spite of you. It's the same promise for all those who want a relationship with God. So the angel said it best. He says this in Luke 2, in the birth of Jesus. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in clothes, lying in a manger. Here's my illustration. It's in the the stage. Didn't look as pretty, but it's a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared, with the angel praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and an earth peace to those whom His favor rests. God can only promise peace if the obstacle of peace is removed. What's the obstacle? What's your obstacle that prevents the peace from occurring in your life? What is that obstacle? We all have an obstacle. Because God has His promise, He doesn't have a contract, and I'm sure you know what a contract looks like. You sign one with your job; you do it all the time. This is not a contract. God knows that your behavior will be inconsistent, but He still wants to make a promise. You know, what in our marriages, we want to make our spouse make a promise. Promise me you'll never leave a dirty dish in the sink again. <laughs> It sounds like a contract. But they use the word promise. Promise me you'll never hurt my feelings again. You ever been in that situation with your spouse where you're someone's trying to make you promise something? And now you can say, hey, it was a promise, not a contract. Behavior in our relationship, your promise overrides my inconsistent behavior. And that's exactly what God is doing. Imagine if we treated each other with the promise versus a contract. Because that's how God is treating us. But the sad part about it, some of us sometimes, we get that promise and then we make contracts with people. Oh, your, your behavior. And when you're uninvolved relationally, the, the first thing that comes through your heart is judgment. I know when I'm not involved with someone, I see, I see something, whoa, 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 what's, what's a little shady. I, I've come to 14 conclusions of the matter. <laughs> because I'm not involved. I'm not in there helping. I don't know what's going on, so I, I make assumptions. We all do it. We see something going on, we're not really involved, we don't know what's going on, we hear one side of the story, and then we know, oh, I know exactly what's going on because I'm an expert judger of these things. <laughs> We do it all the time. It's our nature. again, what God's trying to get through to us is that He's a promise keeper. He keeps His promises. So you're invited to approach God from the platform of what He has done for you. Not what you think you've done, but what He has done. Like David, your sin may bring consequences, but not separation. There was a lot of consequence. And that's the big difference. Sin in God's eyes is all viewed the same. So whether you lied or stole a nickel, or you murdered someone, or you've committed adultery, the sin is all the same to God. But the consequences are much different. Like my grandma might smack my hand when I stole a nickel from her wallet, but committing murder... I'll be in prison forever. There's a different consequence. Every one of my sins separate me from God. But the consequences are just different. So that's the promise. That was the promise of Christmas. As we take down our decorations next week. That was the promise. This was the promise from God to us to mankind. That this baby you found in a manger... That peace to those whom his favor rests. That's us. That's you. His favor rests with you. Amen. That was the promise. But you'll never experience the promise. That that peace between you and God as long as you're trying to negotiate the terms. You won't experience it. If you're trying to negotiate it with God. It's a promise. I haven't because you know the reason is I don't I don't really want to do this is because if you're trying to go I will God if you I will if you answer this prayer Why why did my cousin die explain that to me if not nope and we start negotiating these terms with God I'll believe if and we're missing the promise He came to forgive and accept, not to negotiate with you. Not to negotiate. If you're ready to leave that kind of excuse-making once and for all, I want you to pray. I want you to pray to God. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Heavenly Father, I believe you are the great promise keeper. As you kept your promise to David, I believe you'll keep your promise to me and others and all those who are sitting here to forgive us, to accept us, to love us. So I'll no longer come to you or avoid you based on what I have or haven't done. Instead, I'll come to you boldly because of what you've done for me through Christ. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Just as God kept His promise to David... In spite of his sin. So God will keep his promise to us. That concludes our series on the history of Jesus' family line and his birth. I want to invite you next week to come join us for our kickoff service of remembering our first love as we get down to the basics. Thanks for having me.